Hello fam, welcome back to part two of my extended conception and IVF story. I want to just quickly start by letting you know that there is of course a trigger warning on this episode. So in this episode, I am speaking to extended conception, uh, pregnancy, loss and IVF. Okay, let's dive in. Now, if you haven't listened back to part one of this, I would highly recommend going and doing that. We've just released part one prior to this episode. So go check out part one. It's the episode before this one. We'll have it in the show notes as well. And we are now coming into part two of this episode. So I'll give you the really quick recap. Up to this point, I've shared with you the first year and a half of our journey. So we are up to the end of 2022. We're in December, 2022. At this point, we have gone through the process of trying naturally for over a year and also then doing three rounds of ovulation induction, none of which have been successful. So I haven't fallen pregnant at this point minus that one time back when we first started trying to conceive that I'm sure I had a chemical pregnancy. But other than that, this story is so big. (laughs) It's been a case of being like, what do I, what do I share? What bits are irrelevant? And we are now in part two. So we've done three rounds of ovulation induction and it hasn't worked. And we are at a fork in the road. Now, one of those ovulation induction rounds, you'll remember me saying towards the end of the episode was one where my levels responded so quickly that we actually missed our ovulation window. So technically we only did two ovulation induction rounds. And my thinking at this point was actually that my doctor was going to recommend we do a third ovulation induction round because that had always been the plan. This is the point we're at in our journey. Now, just to go back a month. So November, 2022, I had to get to this deeper level of surrender. You know, every step in the journey or every part of the process, you're always kind of thinking like, what's next in this story for me? Like, where do I, you're trying to obviously stay so present in the journey. And like I mentioned in part one, you're trusting that your baby's around the corner at any moment, but you're also having to kind of gear up to be equipped for what the next journey or next part of the journey might look like. And it's such a wild ride because you're in this constant grief cycle. You're grieving a life you thought you would have. You're grieving a baby that doesn't exist, but that you've grieved every month for two and a half years when you see that negative pregnancy test. But you're in the game and you're having to physically, mentally, emotionally show up every step of the way, despite being beaten down, despite being tired. And so I got to this point in November where I said to Che, I know that there's a huge part of me that is actually really, really resistant to IVF because I just never thought that that would be part of my story. I never thought that I would be someone that couldn't conceive naturally. And I say that as somebody who knows there is nothing wrong with getting medical support. But I think, you know, again, if you've ever been through this journey, maybe you had that thought as well. Like, that's not going to be my story. You know, we don't think that's going to be us. And 
I said to him, you know, I don't actually really know the process of IVF. Like I don't really know it. And I know this to be true now, having educated family and close girlfriends on the process of IVF with me going through it. I know that for most of us, unless we've been through it or we've had a really close friend go through it, we don't know the process. And so I contacted Kate Cattle, who I I was working with, and I said to her, you know what, can we just do a session where you just talk me through start to end what IVF looks like? Please just explain that process to me because I need to understand it and I need to become okay with it if it is something that is a, you know, potential next step. And that conversation was so helpful for me and such a big shift for me because I think, again, it's the, it's the fear of the unknown, right? You don't know what the process looks like. I, I just assumed it to be something that was scary and painful and awful. Yes, there absolutely are moments when you experience, you know, a bit of pain and and of course the emotional pain is so, so intense and, and really, really hard to explain. But the actual process itself was easier for me to wrap my head around than I expected. And that was really useful. It was easier for me to wrap my head around than I expected. With someone like Kate walking me through, this is what happens on day one of your cycle. This is what happens on day three. This is what happens on day seven. You know, that was really, really useful for me as someone who, you know, she herself had been through an eight year journey of extended conception and has supported so many people through that from a personal coaching perspective. That conversation supported me so much because what happened at the end of that third round of ovulation induction was that Dr. T called me and she said to me, I actually think that, you know, your body is going through a lot right now. Yes, we could absolutely do a third round of ovulation induction, but I think that we're better off going straight into IVF at this point. Initially, when she called, I was like, no, oh, no, 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 let's just, let's just do a third round. And then I hung up the phone and immediately went into Che's office. He was still working from home at this point. And I said to him, I've just told Dr. T no, but actually the more I think about this, the more this is the perfect time for us to do the first round of IVF, because the first round of IVF involves a a reasonably invasive surgery. It feels quite invasive because you have your eggs extracted from your uterus and, you know, we've got Christmas holidays coming up. And while of course it means, you know, I'm going to get much less of a holiday, it gives me three weeks to go through that process and recover. And I could see that timing wise, it was actually going to work really beautifully. So I wouldn't need to take any time off work. I didn't need to be worried about my recovery, not knowing what it looked like. And I could just go ahead and, you know, navigate that process. And so I ended up calling her back and saying, great, let's actually do this. Let's move into IVF. So we booked an appointment, we went in and we organized our first round of IVF. Che and I spent that Christmas, Christmas last year, completely sober, so healthy because we were in the first half of our first IVF cycle. In fact, on Christmas morning, Boxing Day morning, we were sitting in the lounge room of my family home doing injections while, you know, everyone's gearing up for Christmas and Boxing Day. So let me tell you a little bit about this process if you don't know it at all. So basically the process of IVF, the first round of IVF is 
the biggest or any consecutive rounds where egg collection needs to occur is the biggest. So the process of IVF is such where, again, you take all the injections and you have all the hormone support for that first half of your cycle. And then from there, you go in for a day surgery where they collect your eggs. So the hormones that are pumped into you for an egg collection cycle when they're extracting your eggs is so huge. It's like, I think it's 10 times the amount of hormones that you usually have in your body leading up to ovulation. And when you're in there, the horrendous irony of this process is that you look about four months pregnant. You have the most bloated stomach. It felt quite painful for me in my uterus for the couple of days leading up to that surgery because you just feel so inflamed and bloated. And you go under, uh, you're in the theater, you're under, you have an anesthetist that's put you under and they extract the eggs from your uterus. So they use a uh, suctioning device. And again, I'm, I'm giving you the non-doctor terminology to go in and extract the eggs from your uterus. Now, obviously you don't feel anything. You're completely under, but it's a, it's a surgery. It's a process. You're exhausted afterwards. It feels big. And so I went in for my egg collection the first week of January. (laughs) Actually, no, I didn't. I'm lying to you. I believe it was between Christmas and New Year. So when you come out of that surgery, they put a number on your hand of how many eggs were collected. And for me with PCOS and my case, my doctor was like, we're aiming for 10. We would really love to have 10. And I had 11 eggs collected, 10 of which fertilized. And I'll get to that process in a moment. So I actually find the process of IVF just so amazing and so magical. And Che and I really lent into the magic of this science the further we dove into the journey, knowing that it was now our journey, our process, we really lent into this incredibly scientific process. We had doctors that we trusted so much. Pivot Medical Center, where Dr. T is located, the nurses, the the day surgery is part of the clinic there. And I just felt so loved and supported by every single member of staff. I still you know, up until my very last appointment would go in and everyone from reception to nurses to the incredible women doing my bloods were just so beautiful and so supportive. I actually said to uh, Karen, who was doing my bloods on one of the first days that I ever went in, I was like, don't get used to me. I'm not going to be here long, (laughs) which ended up not being true, but they were just so beautiful and cared so deeply and the love and care I felt from all of them. I'm I'm never going to forget. And, you know, maybe will be a thing of my future because we'd love to have another baby. I wanted to let you know that spaces will be released for my Swift Mind Scaled Mastermind in 2024 very, very soon. If you want to be coached by me to scale to multi six and seven figures and access one of these super limited spaces of a mastermind that always sells out, here's what you need to know and go ahead and do. You need to be on the waitlist. elliswift.com forward slash waitlist. Jump on over and make sure you're on the waitlist to find out the information. 
If you know you're really interested, I'd also encourage you to make yourself known. You can do that by sliding into my DMs and sharing that you'd love to find out more about Swift Mind Scaled for 2024. So the waitlist again is elliswift.com forward slash waitlist and then slide on into my DMs after and make yourself known. Let's now dive back into the episode. Back to the process. So we had 10 fertilized eggs. Now, this is where things get interesting. So you go in and you have your surgery and the same day Che goes in and provides the sperm. It's all very sexy. (laughs) And then you kick off the process of these embryos being formed in the lab over the next five days. And I know for many people, this process can be incredibly, incredibly stressful. For us, we were fortunate that it wasn't, but only because our results were really good. So we had the 11 eggs of those 10 fertilized. And what then happens is over the five days, there are three key testing milestones where the embryos are being formed. And usually the average statistic is that you lose anywhere from 30 to 50% of your eggs during those three to five days, which it's just awful if you think about that. I know people that have gone in and had three eggs collected and they end up with none and they have to do that surgery again. And so for us, we came to the end of that five-day period and we had six embryos. So this is where the sperm and the egg had obviously come together. And you might remember in part one where I told you that, you know, we were told we'd have to do ICSI, the next level process. We did not have to do ICSI. We actually chose to do a 50-50 split of IVF and ICSI just because I was like, I'm doing one egg collection. I'm manifesting one egg collection. But we did not have to do ICSI. In fact, every embryo that went into my body was an IVF embryo. And our IVF embryos actually performed better than our ICSI embryos. And so we finished up with these six little baby embryos, five of which went in the freezer and one of which went in me. (laughs) So you go through this process where you have, you know, the surgery and then a few days later you go back for your transfer. And that is when they insert or five days later, I believe it is, you go back and they insert that embryo into your body. And the transfer process is really quick and easy. I mean, it's not the most dignified process as Dr. T said to me, I think the first time she did it, you're literally in the theater lying backwards with you know your legs in the air and there's like five people in the room (laughs) the embryologist the embryologist assistant two nurses your doctor it's a 10 minute process though where they you know insert a catheter in and um, literally shoot this little baby into your uterus and you pray that it sticks I always really enjoyed transfer days. I thought that they were really magical. And that to me was one of those things where I was like, you know, I've got to hold on to the things that are uniquely part of my process and really magical for me as somebody who's going through the IVF process. And that was something that I really held on to is like, this is really magical that I get to see our baby go into my body. 
we did that fresh transfer and I spent so much time over that Christmas period resting. You know, our Christmas holidays was me on the couch for three weeks. And so it's a big, big process when you're going through IVF combined with egg collection. For me, I only did the one round of egg collection. I know for many people, they have to do consecutive rounds or multiple rounds, which I imagine would just be insanely, insanely challenging because it really does take a toll on your body. So this is the process in a nutshell, the you know condensed version of an IVF cycle. And now this is where I have to tell you that the level of sadness, disappointment, distress that occurs when you're not pregnant after having gone through this process is so immense. You've had surgery. You've been back to the theater a second time for a transfer, which I guess is another surgery, albeit a brief one. You've been to the clinic up to three times a week in that first phase. You've done daily injections that hurt, you know, although by the end we nailed our process. If anyone's going through the process and feeling the pain, DM me. I have a strategy (laughs) where by the end of it, I was not feeling any pain. It involves ice blocks and a very specific strategy. You know, you've spent around $10,000 for the egg collection and the theater and the injections. That's not including for me, you know, vitamins up to twice weekly acupuncture. You have rested post-surgery, so you might have experienced a loss of income during that time. You've gone nearly insane waiting for two weeks after to find out if your baby is there. And so the injustice of taking a test and only seeing one line is completely and utterly devastating. And that first round of IVF that did not work was the hardest to date for us. It absolutely broke us. I cried for two days straight. It was devastating. And I was still exhausted physically. You know, it it takes its toll on you. So we finished that first round of IVF. And the thing about IVF cycles is that you take a break between them. So if you're not doing egg collection, you're able to do some cycles back to back, but having just done an egg collection, it's quite literally too much for your body to go through back to back cycles. We then went into a break and keeping in mind, I have long cycles and going through this process as well. um, You know, it's so much for your body to go through. So I would then go into these cycles and we were still trying naturally in those cycles. So I'm tracking, I'm trying, I'm not knowing how long my cycle is going to go for potentially up to two months. Like it was just so much at this point. So during this time was actually when we bought our current house And, you know, the cool thing about this, as I look back, is that Che and I kept living our life as though our baby was coming in any moment. Like we didn't stop moving at any point. We didn't stay stagnant. We didn't allow ourselves to just kind of go, you know what? who knows, we're just going to like succumb to this and stay in this house, even though we'd well and truly outgrown it. We knew that we had to keep fighting for the life that we wanted. And we found this house we'd been looking for about two years and we found this house, our dream house. And I recorded an episode on this that you'll be able to find. I'll pop it in the show notes. 
and we moved into our absolute dream house. And so we actually ended up, you know, after a lot of contemplation, having an extra menstrual cycle off during that time because it came at a time when I was running the first launch of the mastermind model and we were moving house. And so I knew that also doing another IVF cycle during that time would just not be supportive for me or us. And so that was really the first break that we had taken of having that cycle off in the whole time that we were doing this journey. So my next IVF cycle came about when we were now in our new house. I was nearing the end of cut open for the mastermind model and we came into round two of IVF. We finished up our second round of IVF and I wasn't pregnant again. The statistics are that I believe it's around about for somebody my age. So at this point, I'm 33, nearly in my 34th year. The statistics for me, I believe, are that it's around about a 65% chance of falling pregnant after you've had three consecutive IVF cycles. So the chances of you falling pregnant at least once of those three cycles is a 65% chance. And I had gotten to the end of this second round, knowing that for each round, my doctor had said, you know, for me, for each round, we're kind of looking at a 50-50 chance. And I'd just done these two and nothing. And the mental game at this point, I mean, not to mention the fact that I was just emotionally devastated really feeling like just just starting to think like will I ever be pregnant like do we have to go beyond this what is wrong with me why am I not pregnant yet at this point I felt like we were starting to get to the end of all our options and I just didn't understand why I wasn't pregnant and again you know I've spoken to this so much like the mental game, the level of stress, the devastation of that. It's so huge. You know, there was something about that second IVF round where I knew the second IVF round wasn't going to bring forth our baby. And I could record so many episodes on the depths of these cycles and little tiny tweaks that I made each time and things I tried and tested and You know, obviously, if anyone is in that process and and you're needing anything, like if there's anything specific that you want to ask around that, you're welcome to ask me a question in my DMs. Obviously, I can't coach you around it, but I'm sorry here for any, you know, specific one-off questions. But I just like the depths of what I was navigating was so, so huge after that second round. The blessing in disguise And the thing that supported me to move forward faster was that after we finished that second round, we went straight into a back-to-back cycle. I didn't know at this point in my journey that you could do a back-to-back cycle. So going straight from round two into round three was really, really exciting because it meant that I could get straight back in. You know, I had something that I was able to do to continue moving this journey forward. I felt optimistic about round three. I also had just come out of this amazing launch of a new program. We were in our house. 
I was so happy with every other area of my life. And I use that word happy relatively because, you know, you can hear the the depths that we were navigating. But I, I felt very optimistic going into round three. And my doctor also decided to increase the dose of hormones that I was on at this time. I fell pregnant for the first time in my life on IVF cycle number three. Three rounds of ovulation induction, three rounds of IVF, two years, and I fell pregnant. And I will never, ever forget how I felt when I saw that positive test result. I'd been Googling positive test results for the week prior because my brain was so used to seeing negative test results that I knew that I had so much hard wiring to do to try and see these positive test results. And of course, like I was doing mindset hacks like this the whole way through to really try and support myself, manifestation techniques the whole way through to try and support myself. And when I saw that double line, I couldn't believe it. In fact, I I ran down the stairs and Che was in the garage and I went out to him and I said to him, oh, I'm going to cry. I said to him, what if it's not true? What if this is a lie? (laughs) I didn't even trust that I could be pregnant. I was so scared. I was too afraid to believe it. But I was. Every pregnancy test came back. Strong positive lines, strong positive lines. And we were elated. We told our family over the next couple of weeks and they were so happy. I captured so many of their reactions on video. The joy was just incredible. My brother told me he'd been asking the universe every day to bring his sister a baby. Everyone in our immediate families was so happy. I called my bestie to tell her. Now, this is a key part of the story, and I've asked her permission to share this with you all. So this is my bestie, Haley. Introducing Haley. Haley was maid of honor at my wedding. We've been best friends since we were five. She is a sister to me. She's a really close part of our family. She calls my parents, auntie and uncle has always been like my sister. And I called my bestie. I FaceTimed her and I said to her, honey, I'm pregnant. And she said, I know. I said, how do you know? She said, cause I am too. And then we found out we were due on the same day. So imagine like the person that you've been best friends with your entire life and you find out you're pregnant with your firstborns. And not only that, but that you're due on the same day. Che and I were so happy, so happy. It was like the switch was immediate. My mom said to me, you are so happy. Like the, the change in you is huge. You know, I, 
I started getting symptoms and and I should say as well, the wild thing about Haley being pregnant and due on the same day was that, you know, we've always had this connection that's felt like it's gone beyond the physical realm. You know, there's there's a soulmate connection there. When we were younger, back in the day of landlines, <laughs> when we were like 14, I'd go to call her and she'd already called me. You know, the the connection there is so great. And there's just this like intense spiritual connection and so for us to be pregnant and due on the same day it was like oh, of course of course we are and I kept saying to her maybe I was just meant to go through this so that you know our babies could be here at the same time and I started getting symptoms we had Che's brother and sister-in-law visiting we spent a couple of weeks with them This was all in very, very early pregnancy, pre-eight-week scan. My levels were, were good. My HCG was doubling. And then we had a scan, and it was actually at seven weeks. And Che and I walked into that scan and found out that our baby didn't have a heartbeat. We had what I now know to be an incredibly junior pathologist who I could see that we didn't have a baby with a heartbeat and she would not tell me that in that moment. And it was one of those medical appointments that was so distressing and so infuriating and I wish had been handled differently. And I've been told by other pathologists that we've seen since then that it should have been handled so differently. Che and I came home from that appointment and it was 4 p.m. and I didn't have the opportunity to speak to my doctor until the next day. She wouldn't get the results till the next day. I somehow convinced myself that maybe it was just too early and that we were still going to get a heartbeat. And I looked at all the forums online for, you know, trying to find these like positive stories. Somehow we got through that night thinking that maybe, maybe we were okay until my doctor called me the next day and confirmed that we did not have a baby. We had had a missed miscarriage a blighted ovum, it's called, completely unrelated to our journey, but a miscarriage that happens more routinely, more commonly than most of us know. And it happened to us two years into our journey. That was when I hit my absolute rock bottom. My doctor was so amazing on the phone. I was trying to kind of process the news with her and and next steps. And she said to me, Ellie, this isn't a time to try and be pragmatic. Like this is probably one of the worst things that will ever happen to you in your life. And it really was. And I, 
I wanted to share this with you so much because nobody talks about this. And losing a baby, even at eight weeks, is so, so devastating. And if you're listening to this and that's been you, I'm so sorry. Because it's unbearable. And the weeks that followed were so unbearable. Shay and I had pictured our life with this baby. We thought we knew exactly what it was going to look like. We had waited years for this baby. And we thought our baby was finally here. And it wasn't. And because I hadn't physically miscarried, the process was only partially complete. So I made the decision. I was given options by Dr. T and I made the decision to wait, to try and hopefully miscarry naturally. Obviously working from home, I felt somewhat confident in that decision or okay with that decision because I knew that, you know, I worked from home. I could start bleeding at any time and, and potentially be okay and reschedule things if I needed to. I waited for a week and a half and that didn't happen. And so I had to make a decision because as Dr. T said to me, you know, if we leave it too long, we do have a risk of, of scarring the uterus. And the decision that I made was to take the tablets, which mean that you miscarry at home. The alternate option is to go in for something called a DNC, uh, which I probably would have preferred to be honest, but the reason I chose not to do that is because the scarring risk of that procedure is also high and as someone with, or higher, there's a 30%, up to a 30% chance of scarring. And as someone with PCOS, scarring risk for me was like not something that I wanted. And so I obviously chose the option that I thought would be best for, you know, our, our potential future baby. So I waited, <laughs> I, I miscarried, and then I had the baby in my body for another two weeks. And during that time, you know, the, the emotional processing was really like, it, it was just all emotional process. I mean, I like spent weeks just absolute rock bottom crying on the couch. I, I cried all day, every day for at least a week. It felt so, so traumatic. And then obviously I had to go through the process of physically miscarrying and Che and I really, really created a lot of reverence around that process. Actually during that time, Lacey gifted me a session with one of her beautiful clients, who's an IVF coach, shout out to you, Michelle. And she spoke with me during the session. You know, we, we basically planned like a ceremony for this baby. And so Che and I had a day where, you know, I took the tablets and miscarried in a way that was actually 
actually a beautiful, beautiful day. You know, it was just him and I on a Saturday in our home, nowhere to be. And I think because I'd planned for it, it it was okay. It, It wasn't as painful as I expected. I mean, look, again, you know, we all have different reference points, right? I I didn't realize that I would literally be having contractions, even miscarrying at eight weeks, but it, it was okay. You know, it was okay. And so that was really great to be, you know, at the end of that process with the physical miscarriage, those two weeks were like, this numb middle ground of pain and still holding the baby and feeling like in this complete and utter void. And it was at this exact period that I made the decision to tell my inner circle clients about what was going on in my journey. And the reason why I did that was in part practical because I had to reschedule quite a few sessions during that time. I managed to get through this process without having to reschedule too much of my business. And I, you know, just credit Nivek and her support for so much of that. I was really, you know, we, we did a really good job of not having to, to do that too much. But during this time, I knew I needed to say something because I, I needed to go offline for a good few days. And there were a couple of reasons why I'd never shared it with my, my inner circle clients, you know, my closest clients before. The first reason was keeping this process separate to my business actually just really, really supported me because it meant that I got to just be me in my business. You know, I wasn't Ellie who was going through this journey. I wasn't Ellie who was in grief. I was me. I was, you know, the smart business person I was my bubbliest, best version of myself. I still got to bring what felt like me into the business every day. And the second reason why I didn't speak about it and hadn't to that point with any of my clients was because most of my clients are mamas and most of my clients or many of my clients have babies who are like they're in really early seasons of motherhood, babies in their first couple of years of life. And because I work closely and holistically with my clients, a lot of the time we're talking about the challenges that they face being a mom in business. And I didn't want them to feel any sense of not being able to come to me with those challenges because of what I was navigating, because I knew that that would create something that I didn't want. But at this point, I knew I needed to say something and I had to really trust myself. And and also, I guess, trust my clients that when I say to them, I do not want you to stop sharing with me your full experience as a mother in business. Please trust me that I can hold you in this because I truly could. And in fact, the joy that I got to feel during these years of being able to show up for other women navigating deep seasons of motherhood was just so incredible. Like, again, there was a part of me that felt like I got to live out these things that I wanted to live out through my clients' experiences. And I say that loosely because I, I think there's a way that that could be misconstrued in a quite an unhealthy sense. And it certainly wasn't that. It was more that 
there was a joyful exchange for me too in being able to support them during that time, knowing that it was a time that I desired for myself. And I just should have trusted all of us more because, you know, when I told my clients, they just showed up for me. Oh my gosh, not a single client stopped sharing their life with me. Not a single client held back. Well, at least not that I know of. And of course they just lent in so beautifully and I was sent the most beautiful words and gifts and love and just so deeply supported. And it was a really incredible reminder of owning my leadership and being really, really clear on this is what I need. This is where I'm at. And knowing that, you know, your people will show up for you based on what you need. And I just, I'm just so so grateful for you know for all my clients who are listening in the inner circle like you have no idea what that did for me and I just can't thank you enough and I'll never be able to thank you enough for that so we were also you know so loved by our loved ones during this time like we didn't cook for two weeks we had I had girlfriends stop by make soup bring treats check in daily Um, and like I mentioned you know those two weeks were really my rock bottom I cried all day, every day outside of, you know, when I worked and you're probably gathering at this point as well, that like business was my solace, my salvation, my respite during this time. You know, the other wild thing for me that I didn't know about miscarriage is that it took so much time. It took me three months from the time that I miscarried to actually get my period back. And of course, during that time, life continued for everyone around us, or at least that's exactly how it felt. A couple of weeks after the physical process of miscarriage, we found out that Che's brother, so my sister and brother-in-law were, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law were pregnant again. And exactly one week later, we got the same message from my brother and sister-in-law, both of them sending it via text sensitively and lovingly. But we had found out that my best friend And both of our brothers were all due in the same month or within the same month of when our baby was meant to be here. And you know what? I raged at the universe during this time. It just felt so cruel. I felt like I'd created this wall from my family in so many ways to protect myself. And I just wanted to make that wall bigger I said to Che, I don't want to see our family. I don't want to be near them. If I hear one more grandparent conversation, I might scream. The grief of the life that I wanted was so intense. I felt it in my bones and Che was the same. And, you know, we both, for both of us, family is our highest value. And we cried so much at like the guilt of that feeling at the guilt we felt about, you know, the news of our new nieces or nephews for the very first thought to be sadness for yourself rather than joy for them, which is a close second thought, by the way, but still a second one is so hard. It creates a pretty intense guilt and shame loop. And to want to distance yourself when your family is your highest priority is so, so devastating. It actually makes me feel physically sick still when I recount this. 
And I just had to remember that this would change, this would pass. And, you know, now with perspective of being about six months from that particular time, I now have a really, really different perspective on my relationship to those three babies that are due that month that our baby would be here. In fact, I actually can't tell you how grateful I am that I'm going to have three nieces or nephews that get to be, you know, this little reminder of this darling baby in the sky of ours. And, you know, this connection that I feel to my besties baby you know, the way that she showed up for me during this process and loved me and kept leaning in was just incredible. You know, that, that could have been so hard for our relationship, but if anything, it's just created more love and more unity across the board. And I'm so grateful for that, even though those months mid-year were some of the most excruciating months, if not the most excruciating months of my whole life. So that leads us to our fourth IVF cycle, September, 2023, the month of my birthday, a month that I had come to dread. (laughs) And here is the practical process of this time. So we knew that we would go for a fourth and if required, a fifth back-to-back IVF round. And if our baby wasn't here, we would reassess and look at the next level of this process. I felt optimistic. I felt hopeful. I felt fearful. I felt all of it. I also felt physically exhausted three ovulation induction rounds and three IVF rounds and a loss within 11 months is physically so intense and I haven't even talked at all in part one and part two about the hormones (laughs) but I have friends who literally stopped this process because the hormones made them feel crazy which I totally get I remember saying to Che the week before we found out we were pregnant in this fourth cycle that I was so done. I'd started Googling surrogacy. I was tired. And I think in so many ways it was healthy actually to get to that point because up to this point I'd been so tenacious, but to really surrender even further and to be like, do you know what? I I don't want to anymore. Like I'm done. Come on universe. Like this is a joke now and it's cruel and I'm a shell of myself. The day I found out I was pregnant with our baby was a Thursday. I had cried all week out of fear. I hadn't planned to take the test till the Saturday because it was still very early. In fact, your clinic will advise you not to take an at-home pregnancy test. You're supposed to wait and go in and get your blood test. I personally always tested at home there's a process because you need to make sure that your trigger injection has come out. Otherwise it will show a false positive. There's a process around it. You can Google it if you're ever going through it. But for me personally, I always liked to test at home. And that Thursday I had calls all day. I had no plan to test. It was too early. Our cleaner came to our house that morning. We have a cleaner that comes once a fortnight and she was there that morning. And I kind of hold myself away in the office while she was here. 
And um, when she left, I, I was in my office and I walked into our bathroom, which is across the hall from my office. And I stood at the door and kind of had a moment where I was like, huh. And I was just admiring our room and how clean it was. And, you know, as you do when your cleaners been and you're just feeling so much gratitude for your beautiful clean house. And I was so sad at this point. I just, I can't even tell you how afraid and sad and fearful I was. And I had the strongest voice that said, take a test. Like strong, clear, intense. And I started fighting it. I can't take a test. I've got calls all day. I'm not going to be able to show up for my afternoon if I'm negative. It's too early. Do I even have a test? I walked over to my bathroom drawer, opened it up, one test, one test sitting at the top. Fought myself for like another solid 10 minutes. I can't do this. It's so impractical. I'm going to have to cancel my afternoon, but I don't have that option to cancel my afternoon. I need to show up for this. My intuition was so clear and so loud. Take the test. And so I did. And I was pregnant. Clear as anything. Two lines. About 30 minutes after I took that test, I'm in my office processing, waiting, thinking, when am I, how am I going to be able to tell Che after he's at work? And when he, when he finishes work, he was planning on, I think going to the gym that day. And I was like, oh my God, it's like five hours before he gets home. Like, what am I going to do? Now you'll remember if you've listened to part one, that a really big part of this journey for me has been healing my mother line. And my mum texted me 30 minutes after I'd taken the test. L, so my whole family call me L. L, this is going to seem crazy, but I just had this intuitive knowing to come to your nana's grave today. And She's really, really happy. So I should mention at this point that we weren't telling. So after, basically after our loss, we made the decision not to tell our family where we were at in our IVF journey. We decided to just keep it to ourselves. We didn't tell family where we were at just to avoid any questions or any part of the process. And, you know, we would tell them when we were ready, basically. And she was like, she's so happy. And she keeps saying... Ellie's okay. Ellie's really happy. Are you happy, darling? Are you okay? Are you having a good day? And I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you what? Get off me, mom. This is crazy. Like, this is just the most magical, divine, beautiful, insane thing. I remember sending some of the text messages to one of my really close girlfriends being like, can you believe this? (laughs) My mom was so insistent. She was like, I've never known her like this. Obviously my mom's, you know, very deeply spiritual and and intuitive and connected as well. And she's talking to my Nana, like beyond the grave, you know, and she's like, she's, she's here and she's happy. And she says, you're good and, and you're okay. And I'm just so happy. I hope you're happy. I hope you're doing okay. But she's so happy. And she, her energy is completely shifted. 
And obviously, you know, the, the reason I share this is because it's just a, such a big part of this story is that, that spiritual connection and just the knowing that I felt this whole way through that there's some sort of connectedness between my Nana and I, and, and we've always been really connected, you know, before she passed, of course, but there's just some, been something in this journey. And I cried so many tears, almost like feeling like I'd, I'd accomplished my role of clearing whatever it is that needed to be cleared for her and making way for, you know, if I was to have a girl, a new way of doing things in our lineage or a new level of clearing that needed to occur and trauma release that needed to occur in our lineage. And so, of course, you know, I told Che, I actually told him on FaceTime because I couldn't wait for him to get home. I told him and that was it. And this is it. This is our baby. In the next episode, I'm going to share with you the first trimester, which this is where things start getting really good, fam. Like it's, we're about to come to the end of this journey. The start of my first trimester was not super easy mentally. And I feel like I say that for obvious reasons, but these next episodes are really, really joyful and I can't wait to share them with you. You know, I started part one of this by saying that like, this isn't a story of, Hey, here's all the ways I handled this situation and did so well. And, you know, as you now know, that's very true. This is a story of loss and a really hard season and a story that I needed to tell for so many reasons that I mentioned back in part one. I know from reflections of, you know, my closest humans that I've done a pretty good job of navigating this journey. And honestly, I feel like a warrior, (laughs) you know, I've felt everything. I've kept my business through all of it and not just maintained it through this journey. We've done our biggest and best years. I was so, so insanely tenacious in the fact that this journey was not going to destroy the rest of my life. It was not going to destroy my marriage. It was not going to destroy my business. It was not going to destroy my relationships, my finances, my body, even though it has taken so, so much from us and don't get me wrong, it it truly has, you know, there is so much that I have not been able to do over these last few years. As I mentioned, we haven't traveled. I've had work opportunities, huge work opportunities, masterminds I've been invited to in person, offers to go and be part of in person, things I've wanted to do in the business that I have not been able to do. I refused to be swallowed up by that. I just point blank refused, even when I had to say no to opportunities. Even that time someone told me they didn't want to work with me because I wasn't a mom and they wanted someone who got it. In all of those hard moments, I never made it mean anything and I never made it mean that I couldn't continue on. And I fought really, really, really hard for all of this. And I don't share any of that to make myself sound like a hero. I'm sharing this because I want you to know that if you are deep in the trenches of grief or loss or pain or hardship, 
I truly see you and I know how hard it is. I know that there's a side of your life that isn't on social media right now. And you know what? That's okay. I know you feel like a shell of yourself, but there will be a day when your sparkle comes back. And I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but it will. There will be a time on the other side of this season. And I'm praying for you that it is so soon. For everyone that's listening to this, I want you to know how resilient and capable you are. I want you to know that you can have devastating things happen in your life and that you can surround yourself with support and that you can keep moving forward. That there will be moments when you feel like you're failing and you don't have your shit together and you have no idea if you're going to get through and truly moments where you just don't know how you can keep showing up for your life or get out of bed in the morning and that's okay I found a strength and resilience that I did not know existed inside of me. And I know that my levels of gratitude and joy and ability to love have all increased so much more because of the depths that I've navigated. Like I mentioned, our next episode is going to be where I take you through the first trimester, the celebrations and what life looks for me in the business in 2024 and therefore what opportunities exist for you if you would like to work together in 2024. It is going to be the most incredible year of that I am so sure and I can't tell you how excited I am to share it with you. I feel like we get to connect fully again (laughs) and I'm so, so happy to do that. I'm so happy to do that. Oh, how I've missed this level of connection with you all. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to this. And I mentioned this earlier, but You know, if you're navigating this journey silently and you just need to be witnessed in that, please feel free to DM me. I reached out to a few people who publicly shared their journey and just told them that I was going through it too. And just them saying, I see you was, was just a moment that I needed. And so, you know, here to witness you, obviously, like I mentioned before, I, I can't uh, coach you in, in DMs, but I'm really here to witness you in that. Um, or answer, you know, a specific question there. So please do reach out. And if you're not going through this journey, please reach out as well. And and just if you're a, a past client or you're somebody who has been part of this community for a while, or you've just found me and this has resonated for you in any way, or you've connected to it in any way, please let me know. I would love to connect with you of course until I get to connect with you this is simply a one-sided conversation and it's been a a really really big one from my heart to yours so I would love to connect with you around it so please please do reach out so much love to you thank you for being here share this episode with anyone you know going through hardship right now and I will be back next episode with the first trimester the celebrations and business for 2020